Welcome to Light Church. We're so glad you could join us for this weekly message. We hope this message leaves you feeling inspired and equipped to be all that you were made to be. Hey, welcome to Light Church. Welcome to our virtual gathering. We're so glad to have you with us today, whoever you are, whatever your story is. We're so excited that you would choose to join us. I want to encourage you over this message to get active, get involved in the comments. And we're going to be dropping some Bible verses for those of you taking notes who sort of missed the reference. Um, But if it's your first time today, I want you to know that you are so welcome, that you are amongst family. And my heart today is that you would leave encouraged and inspired to step into the future that God has for you. So over the past few weeks, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to be picking up on Nehemiah chapter 3. Now, a little bit of context. Nehemiah chapter 3 is like a list of different people and families and where they're from and uh, sort of what they rebuilt on the wall of Jerusalem. So this is like the passage where uh, they've been kind of building up to in chapters 1 and 2 where the people of Jerusalem actually rebuild the wall. So I'm not going to read it out. I encourage you after the gathering, go uh, open your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 3 and read through and it should provide a little bit of a context for what we're talking about today. But for those of you taking notes, uh, I want to preach a message this morning entitled, An Unexpected Crowd. An Unexpected Crowd. So let's pray and we're going to jump straight into this. Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are present right here, right now, in every home watching this gathering this morning. God, I thank you that even though the doors of many churches are shut right now, that the church has never been more alive than it is right now. God, I thank you that you are not done with us. The story is not over. I pray this morning that it wouldn't just be knowledge, but it would be revelation of who you are. God, only you can change us. I pray that we leave this stream different than we first came in. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's uh, jump into this, a little bit of sort of uh, some foundation. Now, I believe that God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. Every single one of us, whoever you are, whatever your journey has been, whatever you have done in your life, I believe that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Now, we as a church, we believe this about every single person. One of our sort of vision lines is that uh, we want to help people step into their future through the life-changing message of Jesus. So we believe that you have a future, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. But just digging into like a little bit of like a a biblical understanding of this. Now, the Bible sort of speaks on different levels. And one of the the tensions or one of the levels that the Bible speaks into is this sort of tension between the universal, the general, and the particular, so the specific. So I believe that God has a specific, particular plan and purpose for your life. And what I mean by that is as an individual, God has a plan and purpose for your life as just as a person. Now, this might look like a job or something that he's put inside of you to do. So that is what we would call specific or particular. But then on another level, I believe that God has a plan and purpose for your life on a general or universal level. Now, what do I mean by this? That the church is often called the body of Christ, that we are the body of Christ as all of us are members of this body and this body has a mission. It has a plan and a purpose. So when you become a Christian, when you follow Jesus, when you sort of turn away from your old life and and want to live out this life 
of following Jesus, I believe that we are drafted into a plan and a purpose on a universal or a general level. Let's look at this a little bit. So Matthew 28, 19 to 20, these are really famous words, often called the Great Commission. So this is Jesus, is one of the last things that Jesus said uh, before he went back to heaven. He says, therefore, it's saying to his disciples, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So this is called the Great Commission, the Great Co-Mission. When you become a follower of Jesus, you are drafted in to the mission of Jesus himself. Think about that. The creator of the universe drafts you into his plans and purposes. So you, there is a plan and purpose for your life as an individual. But on a bigger scale, on a general or universal scale, God has a plan for you, has a plan for us as a body, has a mission for us whilst we are here on this earth. Now, the disciples in, in the book of Matthew are speaking to Jesus and they ask him this one time, hey, uh, teacher, teach us to pray. How do we go about praying? And, uh, you know, Jesus outlines this, the famous prayer, which we call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, you might remember it from school or whatever. Or, um, But in Matthew 6.10, this is the, the passage of the Lord's Prayer. A line in it, this is what Jesus says. He says to pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God has a plan for the body, has a plan for us generally as a church, and that is to usher in the kingdom of God. So our plan is, the plan for our lives on a general level is to usher in the kingdom of God, is to prepare a place for the kingdom of God as it, as it is imminent, as it is coming. So as we sort of move forward as a church, we have to realize that as followers of Jesus, we have been drafted into this mission. Like, I think that is astounding. As a body, we all have a part to play. Every single one of us has a part to play. And in that, we all have a purpose. So if you're sat here this morning listening and, and feeling maybe like in your life right now, there's not so much going on and, and maybe you don't really understand what your purpose is. Now, just a little side note here. Often people wrestle with the idea of purpose. They, they wrestle with the idea of a plan on their life. And maybe it's actually a paralyzing thought. Like, oh, I don't want to miss it. What's going on? Well, see, the crazy thing about God's plan on a specific level is he doesn't, it, oh, he rarely just sort of reveals it. It's more a step-by-step -step uncovering. It's as we move forward in relationship with Jesus, he begins to uncover the next step of what it is. Now, some people know from a young age, oh, this is what God's called me to do, and, and that's fine, that's amazing, but on the most part, that's not normative. What, what it is, it's, an, it's a journey of exploration, of sort of uncovering who it is God has made you to be. But on a general level, in a general sense, if you're sat here thinking, oh, I don't really have purpose, this is good news for you today, is that God is drafting you in. He is calling you to be a part of what he is doing on this earth, and you have a part to play in that. So we're going to be looking at this um, quickly today. So just a little bit of a catch-up in the book of Nehemiah, and I think this idea of a plan and a purpose on our life, I think this is going to speak perfectly uh, into where we're at as a church right now, where we're at as people. And I think that this journey of Nehemiah really just stops us in our tracks in this area. So 
Chapter one, Nehemiah, we learn he's an exile of Jerusalem. So he's been sort of cast out of his own birthplace, his ancestors, the place where his family um, have been for generations. He is an exile. So he's living as a servant to the king of Persia. Now, one day he finds out that the birthplace of his ancestors, where he came from, his birthplace, Jerusalem, was lying in ruins. The walls had been knocked down. Everything had sort of been burnt and pillaged. And uh, what happens is, is Nehemiah gets this sort of burden, like, oh, I need to do something about this. So what he does is he prays and he fasts and he seeks God for four months. And uh, he, he sort of has this burden to... Uh, to rebuild Jerusalem. So anyway, he sort of sits on it, gives it to God. God, this is what I feel like you're doing. Anyway, the king of Persia one day when he's sort of doing his duties says to uh, Nehemiah, hey, what's going on? I can tell that there is like a sadness of heart going on here. So Nehemiah says, hey, well, of course I'm sad. Like I've heard that the, you know, the, the city of my birthplace, my ancestors is lying in ruins. What, how would you want me to feel? The king of Persia says, what is it you want me to do then? So Nehemiah boldly says, well, look, if you give me some time off, I can go and rebuild. Anyway, Nehemiah also asked for some provision. Hey, help me with the timber. Help me with some safe passage so I can get there. And uh, essentially, the king of Persia grants Nehemiah uh, the ability to go back to his birthplace to rebuild. But he also grants him, like we learned the last couple of weeks, he, he granted him safe passage. He granted him provisions and he granted a little army unit with him for protection. So last week we looked at the end of uh, chapter 2 where Nehemiah rides into Jerusalem and he rides around the wall and he sees the damage. He gets up close and personal with it. He faces the reality of what is going on. And then here we are towards the end of chapter 2. He gathers people. He says, look, let us rebuild all that is broken down. We can do this if we trust in God. And he sort of rallies people together. He charges people. Let's do this. So then we find ourselves in chapter three. Now chapter three, like I said, is a list. This is kind of like the unfolding of the plan, okay? So this is kind of uh, where uh, it says, this person rebuilt that part, and this family re rebuilt that part, and this guy built this out the back of his house, and, and these people traveled in, and they rebuilt that, and they also rebuilt this. So you get the idea. It's kind of the unfolding of the plan. This is how the walls were rebuilt. And then we'll come to, in next week, the sort of opposition to the rebuilding process. But in chapter 3, this is the rebuilding. And uh, like I said, the idea of, us have, uh, of God having a plan and a purpose for our lives perfectly ties into this. Because as I was reading this passage, certain people, certain uh, like names of this narrative began to jump out to me. Certain context and understanding of who these people were and what their story was began to sort of jump out. Now, I don't know about you, if you've heard the word tragedy, tragedy doesn't just mean uh, that something bad has happened. It sort of implies that something bad has happened that was sort of unexpected, that shouldn't have happened. You know, when someone's sort of unexpectedly found in an accident, we would often say, oh, you know, they were, they were taken too soon or they were gone too soon. It was this idea that there was so much life ahead and it just, it's such a tragedy that all of this and then something bad happened. And it sort of got me thinking that there is a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. And the tragedy is that so many of us will opt out of living a life of purpose for so many reasons. That there will be people, maybe many of you listening right now, that in your life so far you have opted out of God's plan for your life. 
You might be a follower of Jesus. You might call yourself a Christian. And maybe this morning is a moment that you're going to realize, maybe I have opted out of some of the plans that God had for my life. My heart is that we would avert this tragedy that we would stop perpetuating these tragic circumstances where we live outside of the life that God has called us to live. That's my heart. So here are a few sort of reasons as to why we may opt out of a life of purpose, that we may opt out of the life that God has for us. And I'm talking on both levels here. I'm talking the specific purpose for our life, but also the general, the universal purpose that God has called us as a church, that God has called us as Christians, this co-mission. So if you're taking notes, the first reason that we would opt out of a living a life of purpose is pride and selfishness. Pride and selfishness. Okay, so sometimes we are so obsessed with ourselves. We are so obsessed with what we have going on in our lives. We are so caught up with our own agendas and what we think is best for us that we actually miss out on living the life that God has for us, the life that he planned for us to live. Think about the irony of that for a second. We are so held up in trying to make things happen for ourselves. We are so caught up in doing what we think is best for us, thinking about only ourselves, that we actually miss out on the very thing that God called us to do. How tragic. We opt out of a life of purpose down to pride and selfishness. Now, let's dig into this this passage a little bit. In uh, chapter 5, Nehemiah 3, chapter 5, we hear about this group of people called the Tekoites. Okay, so they live in a town five miles just outside of Bethlehem. Now, we obviously know Bethlehem from uh, the the birth of Jesus. So five miles outside of Bethlehem is this place called Tekoa. The Tekoites are mentioned in this passage as people that uh, were to rebuild. And we're going to dig into this in just a second. But in chapter 5, we learn that the nobles of Tekoa, so these are the people that are revered, sort of the local leaders, the people that had sort of like um, quite highly regarded, highly respected families in the town. We hear this, that the nobles of Tekoa, uh, one translation said, would not bend their necks to the work of the Lord. Now, would not bend their necks. Some says it wouldn't, they wouldn't put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. Now, what does this mean? Not bending their necks is kind of like a sign of pride. So when you wouldn't bend your neck, it would imply that you think you are too high or you are above any of this work. So you would not look down upon. Like a, in that sort of custom, like a, a respect thing or an honor thing is when someone believes that they were important, they wouldn't make eye contact. They would look around. They would look above. They wouldn't bend their necks down to something they believed was below them. So uh, these nobles of Tekoa, they would not bend their necks to the rebuilding process. So again, a little bit of context. Nehemiah calls anyone and everyone together. Anyone who calls Jerusalem home, calls them together and says, look, if we rebuild, we will not be ashamed anymore. We will not live in shame. Let us restore something. Like I said last week, if God was calling Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem, it meant that he was not done with it because God restores things not just to sit there empty. He restores things. He restores people for a purpose, for a plan. So God wasn't done with Jerusalem. So Nehemiah gathers all these people and says, look, let's pull together whoever you are, whatever your story is, let's pull together and we can rebuild. So these nobles of Tekoa, they actually out of pride and selfishness, only thinking about themselves, 
they don't get involved in the rebuild process. And a, a line came back to me, a famous quote, which says, if you are too big to serve, then you are too small to lead. If you are too big to serve, you are too small to lead. Now, we don't know anything else about the nobles of Tekoa and why they didn't get involved. The passage implies that it was a pride thing, that they, they, they would not look down upon this lowly work. They were nobles. This is not their job. This is not what they did. But listen to this in Matthew 16, 25. Okay, so this is on the idea of pride and selfishness. Jesus says this. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will actually lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What's Jesus saying here is if you try and do life on your own, just thinking about yourself, placing you at the center of your universe, going about looking for things that only suit you, that build you up, that are the best for you, and you are not thinking about anyone else, you are not doing anything for anyone, you are just simply living for yourself, you will actually find yourself washed up, you will feel empty, you will never achieve what it is, you will never live out what it is, the thing that God put in you in the inception of your life. You will not become the person you are supposed to become if you only live for yourself. How interesting is that? It kind of seems like it's upside down, isn't it? But if you understand that you become the truest version of yourself in relationship with Jesus, that changes everything. When we understand that actually in relationship with Jesus, in, in relationship with Jesus, we think about others, we do what's best for other people. Like not obviously at the expense of ourselves in that sense, but if we live for other people, putting others before ourselves, it actually says that we will find ourselves, that we will actually be the truest version that God created us to be. Listen to this, Proverbs 11, 24 to 26 in the message version says the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. So you see what's happening here. Actually, when we are drafted into this universal purpose, this, we are drafted into this co-mission of Jesus, the creator and the perfecter of everything that we see, when we are drafted into his mission, we have to understand that we are not now living for ourselves. We are living for him and we have to help others. And he promises that as we give, as we are generous, not just with our money, but with our time, with our resources, with our gifts, with our availability, when we are there for other people, God enlarges our lives. But when we try to enlarge our own lives, the Bible says our world gets smaller and smaller. How do we apply this? Do we need to commit to humility? If we want to live a life of purpose, to, to live out the plan that God has for our life, we need to stop thinking only of ourselves, take our eyes off our own agenda. Uh, we need to think, what can I do for someone else? How can I bless someone else? We need to have an understanding that we are not okay with people walking around that have not heard of the life-transforming message and person of Jesus. We brush shoulders with people on a daily basis who do not know the hope that we have, that do not have the freedom that we have, that do not live out a purpose like we have as Christians, as Christ followers. We need to have a discontentment about that. 
We need to not be so selfish and just think about ourselves. Well, my eternity is sorted. Like, yeah, my life's fine. I'm all good. We need to not be okay with other people living in a place that is less than what they were created to live. I wonder, that is a challenge for us today. Are we, do we have a discontentment with people not knowing the good news? That, that, do we have a discontentment when we see people living less than they were made to live? Because if we don't, this doesn't just affect them. Something happens to us. We begin to only think about ourselves. Do we need to take that step of humility? Pride and selfishness will cause us to opt out, will cut us off from living a life of purpose. The second thing, social pressure. We've all been here, social pressure. Social pressure is one of those things that can cause us to opt out of a living a life of purpose, of meaning, of living out that potential that God has put on our lives, that plan he has for our lives. So we mentioned the nobles of Tekoa, but I just want to stay in the same verse, verse 5. So chapter 3, verse 5, we hear about these Tekoites. Now, the Tekoites were these people, obviously, that were kind of uh, locally ruled by the, the nobles of Tekoa. But in this passage, Nehemiah is so specific about who helps, and he's also very specific about who doesn't help, hence why he called out the nobles of Tekoa. However, the Tekoites disregarded the, the sort of demonstration or example of the nobles. And it says that they actually lived, or they actually contributed to the rebuilding of the wall. In fact, not only did they contribute to the rebuilding of the wall in chapter 5, in spite of their leaders not doing it, in chapter 27, sorry, verse 27, they also, they weren't satisfied with the work that they'd already done, so they rebuilt more. So these guys, these people, their, their, their leaders were like, this is beneath us. They could have quite easily looked at their leaders and thought, ah, actually, we, we live in a system that is, you know, it's sort of, it's based on how we live according to those people and what they think of us. And actually, they're the ones who are going to, you know, give me a better life. And those are the people who are going to actually make me feel more fulfilled. And their local leaders would have had quite a big influence on their life. But in fact, the Tekoites worked on the wall in spite of the pressure from their leaders. And they did more work than they needed to. See, we can so easily fall victim to thinking that we can only achieve what it is we want to achieve in life, that we can only be the person that we are called to be. Maybe it's a gift in our life. Maybe it's a business that we feel that we need to set up or a charity, or maybe it's a church that we need to plant, or maybe it's something in our life, have a family or whatever it might be that is sort of inside of us. Or on a general level, maybe we feel like, look, I know about this great commission. I know that I've been drafted into this plan and this purpose. But the social pressure of actually thinking, I won't get by in life unless I please my boss or unless I please this person or that person or I get validation from that person. We can so easily fall victim to this. Now, Romans 12, 2 says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
What is this saying? It's saying don't fall victim to just conforming to the way that the world does stuff, to the way that people do things, the corners that people cut, the fact that people will uh, sacrifice their integrity for seeming success, that people will sacrifice their, their, their values, will even sacrifice their dignity to try and please people to get to a certain place. The Bible actually says that if we don't conform to those patterns, actually if we allow our minds to be renewed by God, we will be able to discern, we will be able to essentially see the will of God for our life. We will be able to walk in a way that is so unique to us. Like I said, God has called every single one of us to this co-mission. Every single one of us has a part to play. And if we just don't sort of fall victim to the way other people do things, we will be able to discern how we can play our part in that. We can live a life of purpose, but it would have been so easy for these Tekoites to look at their nobles and think, you know what, we're going to be in a bad place if we don't go through with this, if we don't just opt out and sit there and take a stand. But actually, in spite of the pressure that would have been socially on them, they got involved and they did the right thing and they were part of this amazing rebuild. Now, people would have looked upon this rabble of people and gone, how could they rebuild this huge, huge wall? This is a project far too big for them. In fact, these Tekoites were able to be part of something extraordinary because they did not fall victim to any social pressure. Can I encourage you that only God promotes, that only God elevates, Maybe we need to get out of our heads that actually we are working for our bosses or we are working for our neighbors or like anyone else has any control over our life. Can I say, no one can touch your purpose. No one can persecute God's plan for your life. Now, I'm not saying people can make your life difficult because they 100% can and probably will. But what I'm saying is when we have a perspective change that we realize that we are working for God and his plan and his purpose for our life, no one can touch that. No one can get in on that. No one can steal that. No one can T-bone that. God's plans will happen in spite of all the stuff that happens around us. You know, we can still be the people that God calls us to be regardless of what happens to us in our lives. Think about that. No one can affect, no one can touch the plans and purposes of God on our lives, only we can opt out of those. We can, we can make it so that they do not happen because we are so terrified of what people think. Do we need a perspective change this morning? Do we need to realize that when you're in that position at work and you're just thinking, look, I feel like God's called me to this, I'm gonna have to crowbar my way in, when actually we realize if God has called you to it, he, he will cause the door to open. We do not need to manufacture anything. Let's not fall victim to social pressure in our lives. Let's be like these Tekoites, that even in spite of the pressure, the, the, the burden, the sort of status quo on their shoulders, let's do the right thing and be drafted into something so extraordinary, something we would never be able to do on our own. We can opt out of a life, living a life of purpose through pride and selfishness. We can opt out through social pressure. We can give into it. But we can also opt out because of the feeling of being unqualified. We can opt out of living a life of purpose, of, of meaning, of this plan that God has, God has for our lives, both specifically and generally, particularly and universally, because we feel unqualified for the job that he's called us to. Again, 
We have been drafted into the co-mission of Jesus. Sometimes that is an overwhelming thought to have that actually God, the creator of the universe, wants me to be part of his mission on this earth, to build his kingdom, to see more people come to know him. Not because we want numbers, not because Jesus is some insecure guy that just needs followers, because he wants relationship with his people again. And we as the church, our job is to usher that in, is to create environments where people can be transformed by the life-changing message and person of Jesus. That can feel daunting. And sometimes we think, oh, I'm not very qualified for this. Sometimes we see it, but we just don't feel skilled enough. Maybe on the, on the general level, I'm not very good at talking to people. I'm not so good at this. I don't really have the skills to do that. In fact, I don't think I have what it takes to start the business on the specific level. I don't think I have the skills to, to have a family. I don't think I can do that. And we begin to back away and sort of shrink back from all that God has called us to do because we feel unqualified. Now, I absolutely love this passage. This point has really stood out to me in this. And in this, this, this is like the overwhelming sort of theme of chapter three of Nehemiah. This is like, this is the crux of the story that a rabble of people did something that no one thought they could do. Let's look at this. This passage does not mention one single skilled builder. It doesn't mention a carpenter. It doesn't mention a bricklayer. It doesn't mention anyone whose profession was construction or building. Listen to who it mentions instead. It mentions a goldsmith. It mentions perfume makers. It mentions priests, priests' assistants, local rulers, or the nobles. It mentions women. It, it mentions rich widows. It mentions daughters and children. It doesn't mention anyone who was qualified to rebuild. It doesn't mention anyone who had the skills that people would look at and go, we want them to do this. In fact, it was a group of people that were available to be drafted into something that needed to happen that was bigger than them. They were available to be part of what Nehemiah needed to do. This completely encouraged me. There was a guy called Vigo Olsen. So this guy, he was like a diplomat, lived in Bangladesh. He was sent as like a missionary. He was a, a huge voice when it came to like translating the Bible um, for Islamic speaking people and uh, that sort of idea. And as we sort of uh, see his life unfold, uh, there was sort of the post-war era in Bangladesh. And uh, there was kind of this big rebuild process that needed to happen. And this guy, Vigo, he was sort of real prominent in this rebuilding process. And listen to one of the quotes that he says. He says, I took unexpected inspiration from a seemingly uninteresting passage. And he goes on to talk about that he did not see one skilled builder mentioned in what he calls the Holy Land Brigade. As in this rabble of people that were called to rebuild something that was way bigger than them. The, the job was so overwhelming that it could not be done on their own. But this rabble of people, this group of misfits, this group of people that were totally unqualified for the job, that worked together, that submitted to God, they rebuilt something that no one expected. Think about this for a second. Is that not a beautiful picture of the church? A group of people from different backgrounds, from different places, that have had different stories, different hurts, different sin, different experiences of life, different worldviews, different skills. Uh, the way we look is different. The way we act is different. This completely random rabble group of people come together for a purpose bigger than themselves that are used in an extraordinary way. 
I don't know about you, but that sounds like any church I've been part of. A group of people that would not be together in a usual way. That is special, that is God breathed upon. See, Nehemiah's leadership is beautiful in this. He doesn't disqualify anyone from being part of this. A perfume maker who was building like the, the, the tops of gates and, and priests who were rebuilding walls. And it was just a group of people that did not belong together that were working together to do something bigger than themselves. What I love about this, this is just a beautiful picture. Nehemiah is a beautiful representation here of the person in Jesus. I want you to know that whoever you are, Whatever journey your life has taken to this moment right now, God does not disqualify you because you don't have what it takes. Because listen to this, newsflash, you don't have what it takes. You will only be able to be the person God has called you to be when you are in relationship with him. It is not in our strength, it is in his. Think about this, throughout the passages in the New Testament, the weight of the the church the spreading of the church, the kingdom of God was entrusted to and was laid upon a group of apostles, these disciples who were written off by society. They were the misfit group of people. They were fishermen, tax collectors, doctors, just random people. And the future of the church was laid upon their shoulders. You know what this teaches us is that God is not looking for people that the world looks at and says they have it all together. They're the ones with the skills. They're the ones who are, you know, they're the prime targets for this. They're the, they're, they're the ones you want. They are the candidates that are going to build the kingdom of God. Like if we were to look at it in our own strength, we would say, oh yeah, if we, you know, we need these generals, these people who are amazing. God doesn't look at that. He says, I'm just looking for people who are going to honor me. I'm looking for people who are available. I'm looking for people that believe that, that God can do something bigger than they could ever ask, seek, or imagine. Think about that. God will do something extraordinary with a group of people that are just available to do whatever he wants us to do. Think about that in the context of our church. We're going to head into a season where we have some big mountains to climb. We have some money to raise. We have some stuff to figure out. God is calling us into a vibrant future. And all we need to do is be a people that just say, you know what? We don't have what it takes. We aren't qualified for the job. But actually, God has called us and he will equip us for it. We need to be a people that just get stuck in, that don't worry about our qualifications or having what it takes. It's not in our strength. We just need to trust God and the plan that he has taken us on. The end result is down to God. The obedient step is down to us. I want to ask you right now in your life, are there some steps of obedience that you need to take? Are there some little areas that you just need to step out in, even though you don't feel like you've got what it takes? You just need to lean into God. The second we believe that we do have what it takes, it suddenly negates our need for God, doesn't it? We think, well, I've got what it takes. I can just do it in my own strength. The very fact that we've been called to something that is out of our hands, it just totally shows us that we can only do it when God is involved. I think God places us in positions and calls us to things that are way beyond us so that we will need him in the process. God, that is on a specific level, but on a general level. If we think that we can be in this co-mission, the very title itself, co-mission, it's not our mission. We are in it together with God. The second we do it on our own is the second we fall flat on our face. What is it we need to trust God with today? What is it we need to step out in and trust that the end result is down to him? We can opt out of a life of purpose and this plan for our lives due to pride and selfishness. 
getting caught up in our own world, down to social pressure, giving into what other people want to see from us. We can, we can opt out because we feel unqualified and we think, God, you, you can call someone else that's better for it. And finally, we can opt out because of, a, of, because of our past and because of shame. We can opt out of living a life of purpose because of shame and knowing that we have a past. Okay, isn't it sad that there are so many people that have been put on this earth with a purpose that just don't feel like they are worthy, that they just feel like they have messed up. Maybe you're listening this morning, you just think, Dan, like I love the fact that you think God has a purpose and a plan for my life, but you just don't know what I've done. You just don't know who I am. You don't know where I've come from. You don't know the pain I've experienced. God does not write you off because of, of any form of shame you were experiencing or any past that you have come from. Right In this passage, Nehemiah 3, verse 11, we meet this guy uh, called Malkidja. Okay, Malkidja was this guy who we actually have come across in the book before Nehemiah in Ezra chapter 10. Now, Malkidja was this guy that Ezra called out. He actually said, uh, he called out Malkidja for his sin. He actually got into a sort of an immoral relationship and he was called out for not being worthy, for, for living a sinful life and not honoring God. And then in this narrative in Nehemiah chapter 3 where we see the people that were building the wall, here we see this guy, Malkidja. Now, Malkidja was involved in rebuilding. He is mentioned by Nehemiah. And again, he jumped out at me when I was, when I was reading this passage because actually this guy had a past. And when Nehemiah called people together and said, God wants us to rebuild, that could have been a trigger for Malkijah and been like, oh, that's the God that I dishonored. That's the God who, you know, I, I just didn't do things right in this. Like I, I've been condemned publicly. This just is, you know what, I'd be better just not being involved in this. You know what, God doesn't want me involved in his sort of rebuilding plan. I'm like a dirty guy. I'm sinful. Like I'm just so far beyond this. And but we see him there. We see him building. This implied that he had got right with God and he had got involved in the rebuilding process. He had been drafted into the plans and purposes of God. I love this. Whoever you are, whatever your life journey has taken up to this moment, can I say God is not done with you? The story is not over. Whatever you have done does not disqualify you from living a life of purpose that God has called you to live. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone, the new is here. If you are struggling with some guilt or some shame, you feel like you have messed up and it is unsalvageable, all this says is come to Jesus. Turn from your sin, turn from the stuff you've done, say, look, I know it was wrong. God, can you redeem it? And it says the old has gone. And the new is here. Like I said, the story is not over. You are not too far gone. Again, I love Nehemiah's leadership here. He didn't sort of like just say to this guy, Malkijah, you know what? You screwed up in the past. We all know it. We don't want you putting any of your hands on any of this, this stuff. We don't want you being part of this. It will just send the wrong signal. But you know what he does? He drafts him into this. You are part of this plan. You are part of God's purposes. Let me tell you, whoever you are, God is drafting you into his purpose, into his mission 
for this earth. In this church, in Light Church, you have a place. There is a purpose on your life and God is not done with you. Your life is not unsalvageable. Do not let the voices of guilt and shame ever tell you any different. So often people will come along and tell you, you are not good enough for God to do anything with your life. Let me tell you, that is exactly, exactly the enemy speaking into your life and saying that you are not good enough because the God that I serve came to seek and save those that were furthest away from him. He came to bring purpose to those who have screwed up. Why? Because listen to this. In Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short. We are all broken. We're all sinful. We're all too far gone. And that's the point. God sent Jesus so that we could be salvaged, so we could be restored. So if you're sat here thinking, you know what? How could God ever use me? How could God ever bring anything good out of my life? God specializes in bringing death to life in opening blind eyes, in restoring that which was broken and making it beautiful. He wants to draft you into his plan and his purpose for his church. And you have a part to play. And don't let the voices of shame tell you any different. God is not done with you. This story is not over. Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that's the God that we serve. That we aren't part of a religion that says that we have to work our way uh, to heaven. We have to work our way. Or we have to live a better life than the last rebirth. And actually only then will we ever reach a place. Aren't we thankful that God says that whilst you were still broken, whilst you were still sinners, I came and I died for you to redeem you. And you will get to a place of restoration based on nothing you've done, but everything he's done. That's the good news of our gospel. That is the good news of Christianity. It has nothing to do with anything that you could work up to salvation. It's everything to do with what he already did on the cross for you. That is what we believe and that is why it is so powerful. Do you need to let go of the chains that you are carrying around? Because the last thing I read is Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished. That moment he walked out of the grave, sin and death, and shame and guilt no longer have a sting anymore. They can still mess with you. They can still they can still lie to you, but they no longer have the ability to pull you down. Did you know that death is the only weapon that the enemy has? That is ultimately the only thing they can do. They can pull you down and pull you away from life. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant it, which means that when we were chained up in our sin, those chains are now loose, but so many of us go around and we carry them around with us, like our little pet, like our little, like a little deficiency in our life. Like this is just me. This is just you know I carry shame around. This is what I did. This is who I am. Maybe it's time to hear the sound of chains hitting the ground. Maybe today is a moment where you're going to realize that those chains that you are holding to are not attached to anything anymore. Jesus already broke it with what He did on the cross. It's time to let go of your sin, let go of your shame, let go of that that past. Let me say, God will use your past as a platform for your future, or you can use it as a pain. You can carry it around, and it can cause you to be crooked and warped. Do you need to let go of those chains and realize that when Jesus said it is finished, he meant it? Do you need to let go? Just coming into close, I want to encourage you, like I said, whoever you are, God is not done with you. This story is not over. I love Nehemiah's leadership here. Look, no one was ever disqualified and everyone was empowered. 
So no one was cut out of the process of the rebuilding, but also everyone was empowered to do their own bit, to do what God had called them to do. What Nehemiah had said to them, look, you do the bit out of the back of your house and you do that near you. And, and everyone had a part to play. I love that. And it's so, like I said, a beautiful picture of Jesus. No one is disqualified. In John 3.16, it does not say, for God to love the world, that if these people turn and repent of their sins, that they'll be saved. It doesn't say that. It says that whoever believes, that whosoever comes and turns from their sin, they are not disqualified from what God can do in their life. God can redeem them back to the Father. And secondly, everyone has a part to play in the co-mission of Jesus. You have purpose. There is a plan on your life, both specifically, particularly, and generally, and universally. God has a plan for your life. And Jesus came so that you could be restored to live in that freedom, live in that purpose and that plan. How can we respond to this today? Well, maybe if you're a Christian today and you've been listening to this and you think, well, what is it I have to grab hold of? Well, are there some areas of your life which you have opted out of? Maybe today is a day that you were going to say, you know what, I want to get back into the purposes that God called me to. Maybe they're sort of reminiscent of something God said to you in your past and you just sort of let it fade out. Maybe today is a day that you are not going to let shame and your past sort of cause you to, to opt out of this future that God has for you. Maybe it's pride or selfishness, social pressure or these things that are on your shoulders and maybe they're feeling that you are unqualified, whatever it is. Maybe you need to, in those areas of your life, opt back in, realign yourself with the purposes that God has in your life. Or maybe you're listening for the first time. Maybe you're listening and you think, actually, I want to opt in to these purposes for the first time in my life. I'm, I'm so excited about the idea that my life can have meaning, that actually God has breathed something in me that only I can do. God has, has got something for me to contribute in his church. Maybe you're sat there thinking, I want to know this Jesus that has a plan and a purpose for my life. If that's you, I just want to encourage you to pray a simple prayer and just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my brokenness. I give you my pain, my hurt, my past. I give you all of this and I commit to you my future. And I want to walk in your will for my life. I believe this day could change your life forever. If you prayed that simple prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. Just know that we're celebrating with you. This is a huge day. We're so excited. But I want to encourage you, let us opt in. Let us be people that do not opt out of the purposes that God has for our life. As a church, we are going to have to opt in in a big way. Are we going to be the people that God uses to do something extraordinary? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that your heart is to do incredible things with very average, ordinary people. That is your heart. God, we thank you that you are not done with us, that the story is not over, the book is not closed. I thank you for all those people that decided to opt in for the very first time, that acknowledge you as their Lord and Savior, that acknowledge that all that you did on the cross was, was final and was for them. God, I thank you for those people as well that maybe are going to open up those areas of their life and realign them with you today. God, let us be a people that do not opt out of the purposes and plan you have for our life. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Hey, if you made that decision for the first time, please can you get in touch with us? We wanna do this journey with you. This is not something to do on your own. There is a place for you here. There is a purpose for you here. God is not done. I encourage you to uh, go share this message with some people and uh, I hope you have an incredible week. Stay safe and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to a weekly message from Light Church. If you would like any more information, you can find us online or on social media. Thanks for listening.